Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And this is something that's so wonderful because when God gives a victory or when he reassures us in something that we're struggling with or feeling apprehensive about, and he really affirms it to us, and we now we know that there's no better response than, than to worship. In fact, Warren Wiersbe said this, he says, Before we can be successful warriors, we must become sincere worshipers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Bible study today on Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learn that God allowed Gideon to see a great confirmation of his future work. This was obviously no coincidence and no display of luck. God used this situation to build the faith of Gideon, and it worked so well that all Gideon could do was worship God. It must have built the faith of Gideon to know that his enemies were afraid of him. When we are weak in faith, we often make our enemies stronger than they really are. We could say that the devil himself is afraid of the normal Christian, or at least afraid of what they could become. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. 4.13, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Step by step, little by little, here a little, there a little, that's the way it works. So, verse 12, it says, Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And this is the first time in the scripture that we see camels actually uh, being included in warfare because normally they're they're not that kind of animal. You certainly see horses, but this is the first time in the scripture where we see that camels were actually part of this whole thing because they certainly are tall and lanky and they can move if they really need to. So, and when Gideon, verse 13, had come, there was a man. So they come down into the valley, he and his companion there, and there was a man telling a dream to his companion. And this was the dream. He said to this other man, and again, you can you can just picture a tent. If you've ever been camping and your mom and dad are in the tent and they're whispering something about you, and you're a little kid, you get outside the tent and you're listening and, and you're hearing what their you know what your birthday present's going to be. Well, this is the kind of same thing. Gideon and his, uh, his 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 companion there, they're listening to a conversation, and it just happens to be at the right time. Is there any coincidence here? Is there any? Uh, there's no coincidence. Everything is a God incidence, meaning that even the fa- even how long it took them to come down the hill there to get to where the camp was, God was even involved in how long it took them, and He waited, 
and these guys are having a conversation, and isn't it wonderful how God works like that? You know how great that is. So he gets there, and the guy says, I've had a dream. To my surprise, and here's his dream, a loaf of barley bread, which is, which is you can tell that a barley bread is something that poor people make, not with the real wheat, but with barley, which is a much less expensive of a grain. So this barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came to a tent, struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. And, and again, they were just there at the right time. And again, the Lord knows our frame. He knows our frame. There's, sometimes we, uh, we need to uh, go through things. You know, the Lord knows what He's doing. He's been through it Himself. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, what did Paul say? I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus knew, He knows all things, and there's not a thing that you can go through that He hasn't experienced in His life. Uh, that, that Those 33 years that He was on the earth, He experienced pretty much everything like a normal human being would. And so there's nothing that you're going to go through that He hasn't already experienced. In fact, He's experienced things that no one will ever experience. He experienced not only the crucifixion, but He experienced... Uh, the separation, this the separation from his father for a time on the cross and taking the sin of man on his shoulders. That's something that no one can ever do and no one ever has except for him. But notice in verse 14, then his companion answered and said, uh, this is the guy, the other guy in the tent who's hearing this guy's dream. He says, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon. Notice, it's all about Gideon from this guy's perspective. It's the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And this is a dream that God allowed this pagan idolater to have. He allowed them to have it. Now, I want you to underline in verse 14 that phrase, sword of Gideon. Just underline it because we're going to see in verse 18 below and also in verse 20 something interesting that happens with that phrase because the enemy is thinking, oh no, it's the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, right? So underline that. Let's go on to verse 15. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, notice that he worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and he said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And no doubt the Lord was instrumental in giving this man the dream and also the interpretation. He gave him the dream. He gave him the interpretation. And, you know, we see this kind of thing all throughout the Bible. We see it. We see it in Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. We also know that Joseph in Genesis, he interpreted the, but, the butler and the baker's dream when he was in prison. He went on to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, if you remember. And so, this is no different. God has the ability, because He's God, He can do anything. Notice that um, once he heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation that he worshipped, and this is something that's so wonderful because when God gives a victory or when He reassures us in something that we're struggling with or feeling apprehensive about, and He really affirms it to us, and we now we know that there's no better response than, than to worship. In fact, Warren Wiersbe said this, he says, Before we can be successful warriors, we must become sincere worshipers. So, before we can be successful warriors, we must become sincere worshipers. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? In fact, Hebrews tells us again in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, 
it is impossible to please God. There's something about faith that God finds irresistible when he sees it operating in the heart of a believer uh, or his people. He loves it when we, when we step out in faith according to his will. Because remember, Gideon wasn't stepping out in just something that he thought was good. He was stepping out in, 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 in something that God had told him to do. God said, Gideon, this is what I want to do with your life. This is what I'm going to do. And you're not going to die. You're not going to die. This is what I'm going to do. And to me, that would be the most encouraging thing in the world. And so uh, faith is something that is very pleasing to God and something we need to um, exercise in our own life. You know, so often you can see behind me there's a plaque that says, live by faith and not by sight. And I'm hoping as time goes on, I'm going to grow in that myself. And and I know for the uh, almost two years now, we've been uh, here um, you know, as a pastor now, after Jeff and Linda went down south, uh, that has certainly happened and is happening and is continuing to happen in my life. He's causing these things to happen because he, he doesn't want me to stay stagnant and he doesn't want you to stay stagnant either. And walking by faith is something, it's like a muscle that's, uh, that's exercised. If you don't exercise that muscle, it begins to atrophy and pretty soon it just gets weak and, and then before long you're, um, you can't use it anymore. And God wants you to use that muscle, and he wants you to be listening and then to follow him and to trust him. But notice what happens here. Then he divided, verse 16, the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers. So picture this, a trumpet in their hands, empty pitchers, and inside the um, the pitchers are going to be torches inside the pictures or pitchers. And he said to them, verse 17, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. And so there they are. Notice Gideon, this, this young man who used to be uh, winnowing wheat uh, in his... Uh, in the wine press for fear of the Midianites, now he's saying, do as I do. And he now, now he's the example. And that's, that's something that the Lord rejoices over. And so, verse 18, When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, notice, underline this phrase, because this is different than what we looked at in verse 14 above. It says, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Do you see the difference? In verse 14, the enemies were saying this this can be nothing more than the sword of the Lord of or, or the sword of Gideon, I'm sorry. This could be nothing more than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. But notice when Gideon now says it, he doesn't put himself in that first place. He puts God first. And it's a subtle little thing, but there's something to that because now it's not all about Gideon and what he's going to do. He's saying, no, this is not about the sword of Gideon. This is the sword of the Lord and Gideon. <laughs> small small G, bigger case G for God, lower case G. Just kind of put me in the footnote somewhere in the back in the addendum of the book. You know, he, he puts the Lord first. He puts the Lord first. And so... We're going to underline something else here in verse 20, but let's go on to verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, they came to the outpost of the camp, and at the beginning of the middle watch, uh, just as they had posted the watch, they blew the trumpets and they broke the pitchers that were in their hands. This middle watch 
is sometime between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. So this is a, one of the darkest parts of the evening. Uh, the first watch should be 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., a four-hour shift. The middle watch should be 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. The morning watch would be 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And so here they are, right as things are, right as the guard is switching, in a sense, the, these men are coming back to their tents, and at that moment, they, they blow the trumpets, and they break the pitchers, and um, everything starts to break loose. And it's interesting. It says, Then the three companies, uh, which blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held their torches in their left hands, uh, which is, this is my left hand, and the trumpets with their right hands for blowing. And they had this shofar in each of their right hands blowing, and they had the torch in their left hand. And notice what they say. Underline this again. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It's not about Gideon. It's not the sword of Gideon. It's the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Make sure that the Lord is first. We never want to touch the glory because God will not give His glory to anyone. He's very serious about His praise. And that's why he did this to begin with. He took 32,000 men and winnowed them down to 300. Why? So that God will get the glory. No one will be able to boast and say, yeah, it's because we're all that. You know, we had the F-15s come in, threw down some, you know, threw down a couple bombs and some, you know, uh, some tear gas. And we went in and cleaned up with our M-16s and all of our high-tech gear. You know, we, we repelled out of the helicopters, the Apaches. None of that was going to happen. God was going to say, you guys are going to look like you're out there playing with your Tonka truck, and I'm going to do business, and, and, and I'm going to receive the glory for it. And one thing you have to understand, and what's so unique about this, this battle strategy, if you will, and see, God had this all set up, is that under normal circumstances, there would be maybe only one person in the front of an army with a trumpet, or maybe a couple people in the, in the, in the front of the army with trumpets, Right? And so now you have 300 men surrounding this huge camp. They all break their pitchers. They all have their torches. They're all blowing. And for the natural mind at that time, the enemy is thinking there's at least a legion behind each of these trumpets. So they're thinking to themselves, because they can't see anything. It's pitch black dark. I'm sure the Lord had a nice cloud come right over the, the moon and just stop right there. And all of this happens. It's pitch black. They hear the crunching of, or they smashing. They see the light. They see the, they hear the sound and they are terrified right at the moment when the guards are changing. They're probably thinking these guys, I don't even know if, if they knew who these guys were, all of them. And they're coming into the camp. Fear takes hold of them. God uses this, again, psychological warfare to, to their, to the advantage of the Israelites. And instead of having to go in and kill the men, the men end up killing themselves. They get confused. They think that the enemy is already starting to infiltrate them. Uh, they're surrounded. They can't see. They're expecting that behind each of these one trumpets, there's probably thousands of guys behind. So if there's 300 guys, they're thinking probably 300,000 people are coming against them. And they're like, we are toast. We are done. And notice... <laughs> that the, the Lord used this wonderful battle strategy. and he, he used this kind of thing in the lives of Joshua, as we read when we were in the book of Joshua, and also as we get into David's life in First and Second Samuel, we're going to see the exact same thing. God uses, he's got so many things at his disposal. After all, doesn't he know the mind of man? He knows all these things, and he knows what scares the daylights out of people in an army, and he uses that to his advantage to, for his own purposes. But notice in verse 21, 
It says, And every man stood in his place all around the camp, the Midianites, that is, and the whole army ran, and they cried out, and they fled, because they're, they're thinking they're toast. So when the three hundred men blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. So the men began to kill themselves, to kill each other, rather than um, trying to figure out who is this guy. You know, um, they just start. They, they, it was a, it was a, it was a panic. There was a lot of confusion, and the army fled to Beth Acacia toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered together, notice from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and they pursued the Midianites. So uh, the, the Naphtali and Asher, if this is where the uh, the tribe of Manasseh is right immediately to the north would be Naphtali and Asher, and certainly to the south of the Midianites would be the Ephraimites or Ephraim, and they would actually get in on the battle too, and we'll see that here shortly. So then Gideon, verse 24, sent messengers throughout all the the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth Beth Barah, um, and, and the Jordan, Beth Bara, uh, it just hit me <laughs> literally right now. Do you remember when John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan? It says Beth Bara was where he was, the place of the ford. And this would be a, a shallow area where the water was coming through, but it would be shallow enough and probably rocky enough for them to go across that area. So now uh, Gideon is telling the men of Ephraim uh, to their south border there to go out into the plain east of them down to the Jordan River and take possession and guard Beth Barah, this, this ford that would be an easy place for the enemy to retreat over into the mountains of Gilead and back over into the east. Uh, so they would um, get in on the action and help them uh, uh, root out the enemy that way. And so verse 25, it says, and this is our end of our verse, and we'll stop here tonight. It says they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. I guess the place where they killed him, they just named the rock after him. And uh, and Zeb they killed at the wine press of Zeb. So wherever this wine press was, and they slayed him right there. Uh, they named it after him. Probably the only thing good that happened in their life was something was named after them. Uh, but they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. And what I think is kind of interesting, and this is just a side note, and then we'll we'll, we'll pray, is that the names of these two gentlemen, Oreb, his name literally means raven, raven, and Zeb, his name means wolf. And what is interesting about these two men's, these two men's, their names, well. If you think of them, they are Gentiles, um, or they are pagan idolaters and unclean. And if you think of what their names mean, Oreb means raven and Zeb means wolf. And these are, Levitically speaking, these are unclean animals. These were animals that were uh, birds of, like a raven we know as a bird of prey. You'll see a raven eating something dead alongside the road. Uh, You won't see um, other birds do that. Uh, some birds, you know, that are clean, that they're not uh, uh, carnivorous like a raven is. And certainly a wolf is a, a ravenous beast that will uh, is carnivorous too. And uh, the wolf is an unclean animal as well. And you can read um, about those two animals, not that it really matters. But I just think it's interesting that both of these men's names are... Speak of an unclean animal, <laughs> and you can see that in Leviticus uh, fifteen through twenty-seven. You can see 
um, those two names. And so we're going to stop there tonight because uh, there's a lot in this chapter and there's certainly a lot in the next chapter uh, to, to talk about. And so uh, let's pray. But I want to encourage you again. You know, the theme of tonight is really how God can use somebody insignificant, somebody who is uh, struggling, somebody who is weak. And I think for all of us, we could probably say, you know what, that sounds like me. That sounds like me. You know, I don't always feel like I'm on top of the world. I don't always feel like I'm the man of the hour. I don't always feel like I got all the skills that can pay the bills. I don't always feel like I'm anything. And in fact, it's probably good that you don't. Because, you know, the world that we live in is so caught up on self-esteem, you know, that you believe in yourself. You know, believe in yourself. You can do anything. Just believe in yourself. And God is saying, um... Maybe believe in me and think less of yourself, and I can do a lot through you. Um, it's just the opposite of what the world thinks. And so my, my problem is not so much uh, what I think I can, you know, um, you know, being humble. My, my problem often is thinking that I can do something, that I can really do something for the kingdom of God. And it's, good, it's a good place to be. What does the Bible say? If, if we humble ourselves... Uh, he who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be humbled. And that's just the way God works. And so I can either um, believe that and respond with my life in that regard, or I can be like the world and and act like I've got it all together when I really don't. And isn't there a wonderful freedom to be like Gideon, to just you know not have airs about yourself, to not think of yourself as being something great? You know, I think Gideon would would, would say. You know, I'm really not that. God made me who I am, and I don't have anything to boast in of myself. And perhaps you're feeling the same way tonight. And you know, it's okay. It's okay to be that way. It's a good place to be because the only way when you are humbled and you're down, the only place is up. But let God do that. Let God do that. And even when he lifts you up, he has a way of of, of making you feel humble. And he He has a, has a way of bringing you sometimes down if you're if we think of ourselves as being something but this is God's working and this is what God does in the lives of his people he did it in Gideon's life he's doing it in my life and he will do it in your life but the main thing is that we we exalt Jesus Christ that we live for him and trust him for everything we do and step out in faith uh, but be led by the Lord when you do you know we don't want to just step out in faith just to step out in faith and do something presumptuous we know that there is presumption and we don't want to be guilty of that. But when the Lord starts putting something on your heart, and He's put it on your heart more than once, you've got nothing to lose but to step out and see what He does. And you know, and 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 if you make a mistake and it wasn't the right time, He'll show you, and He'll He'll do it in your life again, and then you'll step out again, and it'll be at the right time. But usually, when God tells us to do something, it's not because He wants to wait until a year from now to do it. Most of the time, unless he specifically says in the promise that he says to you, you know, I'm going to do something in your life in three years. I'm going to accomplish this at this time. You know, if he gives you that specificity, wonderful. But most of the time when he says, I need you to do something, it's do it now, right? So we have to be open to that. So let's pray. Father, we, we give you thanks for the example of Gideon. And we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. Tonight, we, we just want to rest in your arms. We want to rest in the, in the arms of our Father and to just trust you, Lord, for all, all the details of our life. 
God. And so would you just take the reins, Lord? Uh, if we've if we've grabbed the steering wheel, so to speak, and are, are driving ourselves, and, and we've gotten we're self-willed, God, and we have things that we want to do, Lord, get our hands off the wheel, Lord. Help us to, if you must, Lord, pry our fingers one at a time off the steering wheel and to trust you and to let you work and to watch you work and to rejoice in your work in and through our lives and in the lives of others. So, Lord, so uh, we thank you for this time. And we just pray you bless each one of us. And Lord, keep us healthy. And Lord, as I as I see our brother uh, Mauricio online, well, Father, we just again, we want to lift him up to you and pray for your blessing upon his life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.